Hello, and welcome back to Mastering Retail, a podcast masterclass teaching you how to succeed in the world of e-commerce brought to you from Essential Digital Commerce. If you've been around a while, you're probably wondering where the funny intro clip that usually comes before this is, but don't worry, our signature style of humor and also informative and educational e-commerce content will come throughout this episode. If you're new here, my name is Emma Irwin, and I'm a senior editor and specialist at Essential. In this episode, we're going to learn about how a brand can approach building the right e-commerce capabilities using a three-question framework built by our friends at First Mover. With that, let's meet our guest for this episode. My name is Chris Perry. I'm the Chief Learning Officer and Co-Founder at First Mover. And what does First Mover do? What is First Mover? So First Mover is here to serve uh, the industry as a satellite center of excellence for what we'd like to say CPG next commerce, whatever that is, e-commerce and beyond, education, but also change management. And we do everything from industry events to custom trainings and certifications to also uh, digital transformation and e-commerce advisory. Okay. Something we ask everyone is, what is the last thing that you purchased online? Ooh, well... I always love that question, too, whenever I've had a chance to ask. So the cool one that was literally in the last bunch of things that I bought was were were cowboy hat stands for my office. And the reason is not because I'm a cowboy, but I'm a want to be cowboy. My wife and and I have taken our seven and nine year old boys on a number of Western driving trips to the American West, I would say. And with that comes the natural visit to the rodeos. And so we actually went to the San Antonio Rodeo in February. And when you go, you're among like 12,000 people that are decked to the nines in cowboy gear and you have to match them. So we came home with a lot more gear than we expected. And then I realized I kind of wanted to put them up. So at least I could remember what it was like to wear such a cool hat. So since you can't really do that in the the greater Boston area so um, easily. So that's what we bought were hat stands. That's awesome. How many cowboy hats do you have then? I have five hats because we've been to a lot of rodeos. And every time you travel, if you don't bring the one you already had, you have to get a new one. So, but I've got one of every color and shade. So I can, I'll, I'll be very stylish. I love that. I think that might be my favorite answer to the question so far. I love a good cowboy hat and not just the hat, the hat stand. Because what is a hat just sitting right. on a flat surface when it could be on a stand? If it can't be on my head, it needs to be on a fake head that sits next to my my, my desk. So, <laughs> But I'm very inspired by that Paramount's Yellowstone and 1883 and 1923 shows that have been coming out. Um, and that kind of has inspired me to to be more, to, to channel my inner cowboy, even though I'm I'm just a Virginian who moved to Boston. So. Last question before we get into actual e-commerce related things, but I'm going to ask it now. We'll come back to it at the end. But something that is on a digital wish list of yours, and if you say hats, I'm going to laugh at the end, but something that just you won't actually purchase and why it lives in a tab, in an app, et cetera. But don't answer. Now we'll come back to it if that sounds good. Sounds good. I mentioned a three-question framework that First Mover has built for how to pick the right e-commerce capabilities as a brand. And it goes like this. What are the capabilities? How do we choose the right capabilities? And what capabilities do we really need to build the ecosystem? So of course we're starting with question one, but with my twist of what do we actually mean by building capabilities? And then what are the capabilities? That's an awesome question. And it, and it's silly. When I hear the word capabilities, it's tossed around like a catchphrase. And it's like, and half the people don't even know what it means. It's like, we need capability. And you're like, all right. Everyone is actually capable as human beings. But capabilities can mean many things, obviously, at a macro level. It could be internal organizational skills, the actual talent on the team, structure, 
ways of working can be a capability, technology tools, anything that enables someone to do something at all, if not better than others. But it's also a lot of the external capabilities, right? The tech, the tools, the partners, the services that would help us plan, activate, or measure any kind of business. And so now when we're talking about capabilities and what we'll talk to today, we're kind of talking about those more often the external tech tools and partners and services needed to plan and activate and measure in digital commerce business day to day, right? Both on annual annual activation, but also that day-to-day business management. And I would say it could be an internal capability. There are some people, and we'll talk to who might have in-house designers that do product content, for instance, for the digital shelf. But there's a lot of outside expertise and tech that can enable brands to stay up on the latest thing without having to own that innovation themselves. So how could one or a whole brand possibly know what all of their options are? Because, you know, if you Google e-commerce agencies, it's not necessarily the best suite of what you're looking for for your specific brand. Or if you're enterprise, you know, you're going to need a different kind of set of capabilities. How, how could one possibly know? That's an awesome question. And it's literally been the challenge to date, right? I mean, so I think because even if you did look up e-commerce capabilities or agencies, you might be get you might get Google results more from a seller who sells direct to consumer, right? So you might not get it from a CPG or consumer goods brand. So naturally, like because we've been in e-com for over a decade now for most CPGs, whether they realized it or not, we have been, there have been some natural go-to capabilities that now seem second nature subliminal options, right? Digital shelf analytics retail media tech and service capabilities that many of us are aware of. So like, arguably, we know they're important, whether we know all the nuances of them. I think the challenge, though, is most of us would have only learned of new ones from scanning LinkedIn for something that might have been targeted to us, hearing about it at a, at a trade show or a conference where someone was speaking from a new technology that was available or a new agency that was available, or asking some friends or peers in the industry, right? What what are you using, right? Obviously, where it was non-compete, non-confidential. That's not bad, but that's not that's not a structured, comprehensive view. And there really haven't been a lot of resources out there that that we've seen that really did that well, that didn't seem self-serving. I'm not knocking other you know, agencies, but usually when an agency puts it out, they put themselves in the center of it, hoping that you they gave you value and you remember them. And that's not wrong. That's the Trojan horse approach. It works. But we kind of thought, why not put something together, try to be comprehensive, try to be independent of it in the sense of we're not trying to favor any one company, but lay out what the landscape really looks like at a snapshot in time for North America. We started with that, Um, but you could do that for any region or market. Um, And that's really what motivated us to build this trillion value scape that we put out as, again, as a free resource just to help educate what's out there, how it works together, and how you would even choose a capability. And what does the trillion, because we're a podcast here, the trillion value scape is? It's kind of like a triangle Venn diagram sort of thing going on, but I'm sure you have a better explanation of like what you're actually looking at when you look at the Trillium value scape. So it is triangular diamond shape, and it actually, we, we didn't design it that way on purpose. We actually initially laid out all the different processes or, you know, kind of, I would say it's like the entities and the processes in between within the ecosystem, if if you will. So when you think of, there is, you start with your assortment. And you've got to get that to a shelf, both in-store and online. And then you've got to get the shopper to the shelf. And in brick and mortar, it was very linear, right? I mean, I'm not saying it was easy, but it was linear. 
And then there was data would come back, you know, obviously from the shelf to the, the, the brand who owned the assortment based on the shopper's behavior. But then we realized, well, now content and assortment aren't the same thing because it's not packaging alone anymore. It's content on the digital shelf. And then there's other types of content, like user-generated content. So when you actually realized it was two-dimensional or three-dimensional, it actually became this triangle shape. And when you laid out all the capabilities, it was like it almost just fit perfectly. Like we were just trying to, we literally were like whiteboarding how it all worked together. And without trying to, it became this triangle shape. And then as we laid out all the capabilities, it started feeling like there were different angles on it. And I, and I said, that looks like one of those like triangular diamonds. What's that called? And, and then we found the word trillion. And so we thought, hey, that's kind of a cool thing to call. So, and, and it actually plays off the theme around if you do all of these correctly, your business can shine like a diamond. If there were no such thing as copyright laws, you know Rihanna's line would go here. But you'll just have to imagine. Sigh. The nerd marketer in me found the connection to the, the shape that it naturally took shape in. And eventually down the road, it might take a different shape, obviously, as there's other angles. But right now, it just felt like a nice way that actually had meaning to the madness of how everything flows together versus some of the other things I've seen in industry today that sometimes feel a little bit like a vomit of logos on a page with no structure to it. Like, it's like, here's everything you need. And you're like, great, but where do I start? Well, I don't know, it's, but yeah. here's all the logos, good luck. And, and we tried to put it into <laughs> something that at least felt like you could, you could navigate it and see how it all worked together. So we, we, we just wanna democratize this because I know we'll, we'll talk to a little bit more here wherever you wanna go with it, but there's, there's a, as we were saying, like there's kind of like these three questions, but it's like the, the what capabilities are out there, how do they work together, which ones do I need? And arguably it goes a little further, in what order do I need them and how do I build them out together? And so the problem is people are at various different parts of that journey and sometimes it's almost like shoots and ladders where they actually go backwards because they might have inherited a business with an ecosystem, but then they have to go back and replace things and move things. So it it, it creates, this is as I know Amanda Wolf at, at one space, uh, you know, within the essential uh, family here always says, you know, like content is not a project, it's a process. And I always liked that. I think the whole, the whole thing is a process, right? None of these are, yep. I might get a capability, but it's a process to manage them, sustain them, and then decide when they change over. Yeah. It's, it's so much. It's overwhelming. It is. But that's why there's podcast episodes like this to help understand what's- Keep it calm, <laughs> to help. you know? We, we can listen to calm. some Zen music, light some candles, just relax. We're going to make it through. I'll whip out my little like desk sandbox that I can like grooming like my sand yard as my meditation. Yeah, thing. no, <laughs> I've got cacti over here to, again, bring in more of that West American West Western, theme. Yeah. So. With that small pause for clarity and calmness over. We're going to get moving again with question number two in the thought process of building the right e-commerce capabilities. How does one choose who to work with and with what capabilities? Does every brand need every capability? Special press for anyone who counts how many times I say capabilities in this episode. I'm doubting that the good old Google search is actually the best method here. Again, not to make it complicated, but also not to make it sound so simple that you're like, why am I not doing it perfectly? Because it is it is complicated. It's a science and an art to it, right? But there's kind of a couple parts to this, at least two. One is, okay, I know what's out there. I know what kind of capabilities are out there. Obviously, I'm, I'm aware of some of the logos, the names of the companies I am already working with or could be working with in this space or who may be innovating into this space. So there's the, there's the micro and the macro, right? So 
on a micro level, once I know I need digital shelf analytics, or I know that I need shopper insights, you know, online shopper insights or brand protection services, you know, I now need to go through a life, like a, a capability life cycle process, right? I need to arguably something prompted the need, right? It might've been me looking for it. It might've been the current capability isn't working as well, or we have a problem and we learned of a solution that can solve that problem. But we have kind of, we have our own like capability life cycle process that we kind of teach to or advise to. There's kind of the initiation stage, whatever prompts the need. There's evaluation, which might be a formal RFP of the capabilities, right? Sending out invites to all the different digital shelf analytics organizations to pitch for a capability. Then once you've chosen one, obviously, which goes through a number of steps to pick one, then there's the activation. And then we actually broke out measurement and sustainability. So like, how do I actually measure the immediate success of whatever I've activated? What, not just is the tool doing what it's supposed to do, but how do I measure the, the tool measures something often there's metrics in the tool, but there's also measurement of the tool. Does it, does it drive an ROI internally? And then there's the sustainability because then as people change roles, did I retrain the team? Is there a lead, right? The lead on retail media left and now we don't have someone. So do, who's, who's going to take that baton while we pick the new person or is there a new person, right? So there's the, in the individual capability next steps within isolated capabilities. And then there's also the ecosystem, right? And we have recommendations, you know, not specific companies necessarily, unless they're already working with them and there's some preferences for those, but we try to give very agnostic view of like, these can help you based on your needs and regions and categories and whatever, depending on what they're looking for. But it's where are they in the journey and what capabilities should they have together and in what order if they can't have them all at once, right? And so that's why I would say it's it's two-parter because it's kind of the macro and the micro, depending on where you are in that next step journey. In your experience, who from a brand is kind of making these decisions? Like what role is that that is usually at the point of making these kind of decisions? That's a great question. So People matter a whole lot in this whole process. I would say, obviously, there's a lot more automation and tech. So there's always the, in the future, there may be fewer people, but doing different types of things. But in the short term, there's people are literally, people are the people making the the, the decisions here. Historically, the e-com team defaulted as the one who was, again, tasked with results that sometimes weren't always achievable based on inflated expectations and not in you know, maybe lesser understanding of those pushing the goals on on the team. So again, if I'm, oh my gosh, you know, we're being asked for so much more retail media. We really need to make sure we're managing this and measuring this apples to apples as we start pushing more budget into a full funnel approach with our traditional media. I'm going to have to solve, I, I may be the one looking for a flywheel digital or other partners in this space to help help me manage all of this effectively. As e-com though becomes commerce and it's not just the e-com team who is trying to solve for all the problems, other other leaders right naturally might be prompted. Um you know sales capability teams, the IT teams, commercial executive leadership, the media team. So what's nice is the E is quickly becoming silent in e-commerce as e-commerce is everyone's opportunity and or challenge. But in, historically, it was the e-com team that was really prompted with the, it's all on you to fix this. Well, okay, well, now I need help and I'm going to have to go get someone new to help me. But the usually though, I see it's really interesting. And this is just kind of the, the last little point here is procurement is now being brought in more often because it's a big 
a lot of these are big purchases. There's sizable, you know, contracts. But the challenge is procurement doesn't always understand e-com and e-com doesn't always understand procurement, right? Or the, the, the commercial leader. So you need this like little team of everyone. It can't just be the e-com team jumping into solution mode because procurement may ask actually some really thoughtful questions, but procurement can't take it all over because e-com actually knows how e-com works. And so it has to be a, a village that brings this together. But historically, it's been e-com only. Now it's merging into other functions. Okay. You've got a grasp on how to choose the right capabilities, and now you're ready for question three, which is determining what is really needed and building that ecosystem that you've mentioned. Because I think, you know, you can look at the Trillion Valuescape. You don't need to sign up for every single thing, and you might already have some of these capabilities existing in-house. But if you have too many, I think you probably end up with this really fragmented operation. You got too many partners. It can't be an ecosystem. So... What is your logical logical way to think through building this? And this is inspired by, if for anyone listening, if you go to the Trillion Valuescape tab on First Mover's website and scroll to the bottom, there's a slideshow that walks you through this. But I'd love for you to audibly go through kind of the ways to be thinking about this. If you started from scratch, there's a way to think about it. No one is totally starting from scratch. So every, everyone has like a fragmentation of some of these. But it does help to say, where would I start if I hadn't already started? And does that give me some ideas for how I could make my current combination of things better, right? Whether it be new partners, additional partners, additional capabilities, in-housing something, outsourcing something. But in general, it, it may sound really basic, but generally, first you start with where am I selling, right? So obviously, there, a lot of our CPG community is selling at almost every retailer in the mass grocery, drug, club, dollar outlets, right? online on all of those retailers, including pure play marketplaces, again, like an Amazon. So that may not be that hard a question to answer. But for, for new brands who are starting out, they may be saying, I'm, I'm selling direct to consumer. Do I also do social commerce? Do I sell on an Amazon marketplace? Right. So you've got to first, you got to be selling. You have to be in distribution. A lot of brands immediately jump to and it's not illogical, but they jump to content and media because naturally, once I'm selling, online, my, the representation of what I'm selling is my content. And the way I get people to my page is through paid search and display and other types of demand generation. And that will generate results. I mean, you'll get some sales from that. I mean, you, you can't not just being in distribution alone gets you something. Then when you drive demand, you get something else. The problem is you don't know what you're getting or how well that is compared to others, how, how, how strong your performance is. And you don't know why you're getting it or how you're how you're getting or how someone else is getting. So that's actually, generally we say, start with where you sell. And that might be easy with platforms you sell on, marketplaces you sell on. Next, you need to make sure you have a good sense of what are my outputs? What sales and share am I getting in this space? And there's a lot of different capabilities out there trying to give both real POS data, if not panel data, trying to extrapolate on how you're doing in the market. So I know my efforts got me the end result I wanted, Pro, you know, ideally profitable sales and share. But then my next thing would be, well, what are my input metrics, right? What are my digital shelf metrics? Which is why digital shelf analytics have been around for a while, because if I don't know whether I have the right content across a thousand SKUs, if I don't know if I have recent reviews on my products that are helping or detracting from my performance, if I don't know if I'm available across all my retails, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to know what, what is causing my outputs good or bad. So I generally say where I'm selling can I measure my outputs? Can I measure my inputs? 
and measure and optimize that digital shelf. Now I'm in a place to do digital shelf content, drive more reviews and syndicate more reviews using Bizarre Voice or Power Reviews or any of the retailers review programs. Now, now that I've, and, and then at that point I've, I've become retail ready. So I'm, I'm ready to convert at my maximum level. Now I'm in a position to do more retail media. Not that I shouldn't have done some already, but I can convert. You know, I always say like, as I'm sending fish down the stream, I can catch more fish in that net, right? So, so I need the net to be really strong so that as I pump more fish down that stream, I'm ready. Then I can expand that to shoppable media, right? More national media that says where to buy, you know, or add to cart. Then I might want to understand more about my shoppers so I can go be more targeted. And that might be shopper insights. And then, and then you get into some of the next level stuff about brand protection and, you know, commerce management, which is really where you can manage the metrics and the actions together for what we call closed loop management, right? Where, you know, cause and effect and, and then logistics, if you go direct to consumer. So every brand though, might be in a slightly different mix. So that order may already be solved for some, but it might be, oh, I, I missed one of those steps, or I really don't know the inputs. I only know the outputs, right? And so the idea is that it gives you an order of importance and then gives you a, a way to find gaps or opportunities that you can go back and fill or improve. Have you considered writing a textbook? Because <laughs> I think you should. Well, <laughs> it, it's a good question. So there's a lot of content in every area. And the one challenge I always find is textbooks, obviously, it's an academic approach to this is why we do a lot of training is, is an important one. The problem is, so, you know, humans have the attention span of a goldfish. So the problem is, how yeah. do I get you to want to l listen, want to, and can you know, be able to retain or, or capture this data? And so the question is like with Trillion, the idea was almost like put out a visual that is so interesting. If not, if nothing else, it's almost like a fire on the side of the road. I've got to stop and look at this. And oh, by the way, I'm kind of learning in a simple way how I could approach it. So it's, it's, it's that, how do I peel the onion in a way that's appealing, you know, all puns intended. Um, so, so this is worthy of a textbook. It's just a matter of how do I turn the textbook into something that is teachable, right? Or, and, and then learnable. Cause I think most of us probably slept on most of our textbooks. Everything that you just went through, it's kind of my brain is going back to the conversation about how like when you're actually the people who have to actually pick these companies to work with and these capabilities. And that's just so much to think about. And someone who really knows media isn't going to understand necessarily some of the more retail heavy things and vice versa. And I don't think there's there's not like a clear cut solution to that. But I am wondering, say you pick one, there's one company capability that you're working with, and it's just not working. Is that, say you're going to switch over, how does that impact the entire ecosystem? In general, if, and, and you, may, you may be the reason that something's not working, you're like, well, I don't mean you're the reason <laughs> it's not working. You may be the one determining something's not working. So you may have very good reason to believe this is true. But if you're assigned to something or you become part of a team and you're being asked to evaluate a, a specific capability, do that. But don't don't walk in assuming it's it's at fault. And I only say that because having been on the other side and and even now of, of the other side of the industry, I'm not blaming brands or retailers, but they're not always right themselves, right? It could have been again, a, hey, we set up this capability a year and a half ago. We had great ambition to train the team and assign leads and make sure people were accountable for using the tool and get, extracting its value and measuring its success. And then three people left the company or one person rotated and then there was nobody on it and nobody did the training. And then suddenly the tool, you know, what does this tool even do? 
well, it, it did something and it was obviously a value to somebody not so long ago. It's just literally like dynasties change and you're suddenly left with, you've, you've inherited this thing or you're, you're being told it doesn't, there's no ROI in this. What, what, why? So it could be true, but do that due diligence. Walk in with, with kind of a completely independent, unbiased view, unless you're the one who's already done this evaluation, then you could, then you could look at the fit, but make sure you're really understanding how it's not a fit or how it's not working, why it's not working, ask people, dig in, and be open to the fact that it might be on your team. And not like, again, not to blame, it's not accusing. It's just just like, did we set that tool up for success? Because I have seen in my own experience as a practitioner on the CPG side, several capabilities that we failed. They didn't fail us, we failed them, but we got rid of them like a bad habit and blamed them and then picked somebody else and had the same issues because we hadn't solved, you know, again, insanity is expecting different results from doing the same thing. And, and, and so it may be on us, but if it wasn't a fit and you, to your point though, extracting, I almost think of like holiday lights, right? During the holidays, right? One light bulb out can, can knock out the whole, they're not supposed to anymore, but they still, some of the older light strands, you take one light bulb out or one goes out, the whole line goes out, right? And so the key though is now, it's not just when I evaluate and go through that life cycle of a capability. I don't only think about the capability. I now have to think, okay, so some of that data used to feed into this other agency or this agency was trained on using this tool as well or, or hey, there was an automatic feed between these or these were actually part of the same company, you know, parent company. And we hadn't thought about how separating them out, how there's now a conflict of interest, or those are all things that are going to need to be thought through as part of that RFP process. And again, a lot of, most of the, the, these capability partners are not, this is not their first rodeo going back to our earlier um, discussion around the American West, but it, it it's an important nuance because it can't be RFP in isolation. It's got to be, I'm picking a partner to replace a partner who now has to work with these seven different things. And this is how they all interconnect. And I need to know that you can plug into that and that we have a plan for that as well. And now you have a better understanding of how to think about building digital commerce capabilities than you did before you press play. We covered the Trillion Valuescape and its three-question framework of what there is to choose from, how you choose, and how you determine what you really need, as well as what you can do if the ecosystem feels a bit off. To close this out, we're back to that one thing on Chris's wish list. And I really thought it was going to be a new color of a cowboy hat, but somehow it was even better. Ooh, so th- this is going to sound silly, but so I, I lease a Jeep Wrangler because I actually got a deal that was the same as my Honda before <laughs> I got a really good deal. And so, but then my kids were like, dad, it's like you're driving that one from the Jurassic Park movie, right? And so, <laughs> so then I, I actually did buy decals, like legit decals to trick this out. I wanted to go to that next level where they're, they're actually like, appendages you can add to the car to make it look like like a dinosaur like slice through the car um <laughs> and and then my 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 in-laws were saying I should add like the inflatable raptor in the back that looks real so I haven't bought those yet but I did go halfway there so I'm very close I really hope you buy those cuz I would love to I want to see I would love to just see that driving down the road I think it would make my day Somebody at Dunkin Donuts asked me if I was if I'm on a movie set or whether it's just for fun and I'm like well <laughs> I could go there. It'd be cool to have that next movie if I could be a, a you know an extra. For sure. But who knows? Well, if, if we, we can do a podcast on that next time. Yes. Cowboy hats and dinosaur cars from Jurassic Park. 
With that comes the end of another episode of Mastering Retail. Thank you to Chris and First Mover for joining us and for putting in the legwork to build the Trillion Valuescape. This diagram is easily accessible from firstmover.com and I highly encourage checking it out to put a visual to what you just listened to. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it, review it, share it, subscribe, follow us, the usual. I've been your host, Emma Irwin, and this episode was produced by Klaus Cancel with sound design from Enos Attention. See you next time.